Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, April 22nd, and today I'll be speaking with Matt Bellany about the wild Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. And later on in the show, Puck's own Alex Bigler and I will be doing a new segment called Feedback Fridays. We'll get into what you, Puck's loyal readers and listeners, are fired up about this week and share with you all the gossip from inside Puck HQ. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. Dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Friday, everybody. I am joined today by Matt Bellany, our man in Hollywood, who is going to explain to us something that's actually happening in Virginia, which is the uh, defamation lawsuit that Johnny Depp filed against his ex-wife. Amber Heard. Uh, You're probably seeing bits and pieces of this all over the news, all over social media. People are taking sides like it's an election or something. Uh, But Matt, what is this trial about? Why do we care? Is this just offering us a glimpse into the private lives of celebrities and their toxic relationship? I think there's a bit of that going on. I mean, this it's very rare that you hear in such detail these two very big stars revealing, you know, their all their drug use and threatening text messages to each other. And, you know, Johnny Depp, his finger got cut off and he it may or may not have been cut off by a shard of glass from a vodka bottle that she may or may not have thrown at him. So there's a little bit of that, but it is actually a pretty fascinating legal case as well, because, you know, you don't often see defamation trials actually publicized like this. Like there's cameras in the courtroom and you very rarely see that in a in a case like this. Very few cases allow that. And it all stems from this op-ed 
that Amber Heard wrote in the Washington Post in 2018, where she didn't name Johnny Depp, but she said that she was a survivor of domestic abuse and then went on to describe some of the things that had happened to her. And it was pretty clear, given the noise in the news media around their relationship, that she was referring to him. So Johnny Depp sued. And he had actually sued before this. He sued in London. He sued the Sun, which is a British tabloid owned by Rupert Murdoch, which had called him a wife beater. And there was a trial for defamation against the Sun, and Depp actually lost. And there were some rulings in that case that were not very favorable to him. And basically, he was deemed to have uh, beaten her and abused her at certain times, or at least the judge said that it was very likely that that had happened. All things that served to torpedo his attempt to sue for defamation. Now, he could have dropped the case in Virginia after that ruling, but he didn't. He chose to press on, and he has said in the press that he did so because he did it for his kids. He wants his kids to be able to see him get vindicated in court, and that's why we are going through this ugly exercise of him suing and going to trial against Amber Heard and having all of their dirty laundry aired in public. And so why is this taking place in Virginia? Because the op-ed was in the Washington Post, which has a printing press in Virginia, and they thought that the laws in Virginia would be more favorable than suing in you know, Los Angeles, where they lived, or elsewhere. California has a very strong anti-slap statute, which is a legal doctrine that says if you sue someone over things that they say that are in the public interest, not only would you get your case tossed immediately, but you would have to pay the other side's attorney's fees. And at the time, there was not an anti-slap law in Virginia. Subsequent to the case being filed, actually, the Virginia legislature enacted an anti-slap law. But when it was filed, that's the reason why it was in Virginia, because they thought it was a more favorable venue. So one other thing I was reading about this is that one reason this is a total circus is Elon Musk is going to testify. No, no, he's on the list. He, Elon, Elon and James Franco are on the witness list. Um, uh-huh. They were never served subpoenas, and it is hi- uh. it is highly unlikely that they will testify. But they are out there, and Elon Musk was very famously a friend slash possibly more than friend of Amber Heard. So he witnessed some of the aftermath of this relationship gone bad, and uh, he could have had information about that. But I would be very surprised if he testified. So one thing that's also jumped out at me about this, I, I mentioned it briefly earlier, is both Johnny Depp and Amber Heard over the last few years have developed these weird like stand cultures on the internet, these partisans who take sides and, you know, one side accuses Amber Heard of being this like gaslighting attention seeker and, and people on the internet go after her. And then other people accuse Johnny Depp of being like a maniac spouse abuser and Amber Heard's people go after him. Like what about this case has created such a, like a weird fan culture slash defender culture on the internet and social media. I think part of the reason is just how big of a star he is. I mean, it's hard to articulate how famous Johnny Depp is based on those Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, those were billion dollar grocers. There have been five of them now. And at one point he was arguably the biggest star in the world during that period in the 2000s when he had the Pirates movies and Alice in Wonderland and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the awards movies. Like Johnny Depp is just a gigantic star. And he's also a very weird 
star. He's he's <laughs> you know enigmatic. Yeah. He's in a band. He shot Hunter Thompson's ashes out of a cannon. He got into litigation with his business managers and his former agent and uh, lawyer. And you know some of the stuff that came out there was that he was spending thirty thousand dollars a month on wine, and he was you know buying skulls at auction. And he bought an island in the uh, Caribbean. And, you know, that's not normal behavior. And I think that you know, they're sort of almost like the Michael Jackson fans. People just have a strong emotional connection to him. And then, you know, Amber, Amber Heard is no, I mean, I want to be careful what I say because there's a lot of allegations of abuse here. But she was very involved in a lot of these fights and some of the language and the allegations, you know, he claims that, she was abusive towards him, not that he was abusive to her. So there are people that have come forward to kind of defend him. And there are people that think she's not a the purest of actors in this sense either. You get the sense that either of them have careers moving forward in, in any meaningful way? That's what this whole case is about. Because in a defamation case, you have to show damages. You have to say mm-hmm. that, okay, not only what you said about me was false, but it actually damaged me financially. And what Depp is saying is that, yeah, he had all these problems and, you know, he probably wasn't going to be in another Fantastic Beasts movie after the decision Mm -hmm. in the UK case came down. He was basically fired from Fantastic Beasts the day after that decision was rendered. But he said that he lost the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise in large part because of what Amber Heard wrote in her op-ed. And it is true that ever since the... Fantastic Beast movie in 2018, Depp has not worked in a studio movie. He's done some indies and he's done fashion campaigns and things like that, but he was among the most bankable studio movie stars in Hollywood, and he has not had a movie like that since she wrote that op-ed. Now, is it because of that op-ed? There was a lot of noise around him before, and that UK Mm -hmm. decision was pretty bad, and it was arguably the thing that got him fired from Fantastic Beasts, But that's his argument. And she claims that she has also been damaged by the things that he has done because he's made all kinds of claims through his lawyer about her being abusive. And she claims that she was nearly fired from Aquaman 2, the sequel to Aquaman, which made a billion dollars. And that's kind of her franchise. So both sides allege that they have been damaged financially. I don't know if a jury is going to buy that because of all of the negative media attention that was on both of them before the stuff in this lawsuit happened. One reason people like listening to you on on this podcast and your other podcast, The Town, which you can listen to on The Ringer, it seems like you've just been to dinner with everyone or like you've met everyone at a party out here. Have you ever met Johnny Depp or interacted with him? My only time I met Depp was at the Governor's Awards, which is a an Oscar-oriented event that he attended one year. And I was surprised by his gold teeth. <laughs> he, had, he had like gold caps on his teeth and he seemed like he was kind of out of it, but kind of there. And he, had, he was like draped on his agent's arm and huh. he just kind of seemed like the, he's like a, and people joke that he thinks he's Keith Richards, but he carries himself like Keith Richards. Okay. Um, he was very nice. Like I'm not, I'm not saying he was a jerk and like a lot of the testimony yeah. that I've watched in this case, he comes across almost as like a shy introverted figure and he, certainly characterizes Uh 
himself that way. And I feel like a lot of actors are that way, especially the ones that are in the public eye so often, because they he hasn't been able to go outside and have a normal existence for 20, 30 years now. So it's, you know, it changes you as a person. Yeah. Well, maybe now that this case is in Virginia, he can, uh, you know, get out and about a little bit at some of the strip malls. We'll see. <laughs> All right, Matt, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. No problem. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to check in with Puck founder, John Kelly, to see what's going on in his world. Hey, everybody. It's John Kelly. Normally, I'm with you on Media Monday, but I wanted to come to you a little earlier to point out a couple of stories that we are laser focused on here at Puck. First, of course, is Netflix's disappointing quarterly earnings report. As many people listening to this podcast probably already know, the service, as it's called, lost about 200,000 subscribers, and it's projected to lose 2 million more. Netflix was worth some $300 billion a number of months ago. Now it's worth less than $100 billion. There are a number of theories as to why this is all going on. So let me give you mine, or at least the one that I'm working on right now, which is that Wall Street has sort of come to terms that there is a total addressable market, or TAM, of about a billion households that will pay for streaming. Netflix was not only once the hegemon, it was the only game in town. And now there are a number of major players like Disney Plus and Warner Brothers Discovery, the House of Zazz, that are all involved. So I don't think Wall Street has entirely chilled its long-term view of streaming economics, although some disagree with me. I think that mainly they realize that the TAM is not growing and that it might not grow. I'm very interested in how Netflix is going to pivot out of this. They have a number of levers at hand. One is adding a ad tier Many people have come out and criticized that. I, I think it's certainly possible. But one of the interesting barriers to entering that market is that Netflix has to hire an entire sales force. At the height of its market cap, like a year or so ago, Netflix could have easily acquired a large media company and absorbed its sales force. Now it's going to be a much stickier wicket. Here's another media story that is on my mind and that Peter and I are going to talk about more on Monday. CNN Plus is kaput. That's right. 30 days, $300 million, about 150,000 subscribers. There are a couple of very quick observations to make here. One is that this was a catastrophic cash-burning failure, which is how it's being portrayed in, in some parts of the media. The, the more uh, sophisticated one, I think, and it, it's, it's my view, is that it was a, a move of sort of visionary bravery on behalf of the leadership of Warner Brothers Discovery. Obviously, it's an incredibly painful decision, but they made a tough call and they made it immediately. It, it seems pretty clear that Warner Brothers Discovery did not want CNN Plus to move forward after they announced the merger. And it was very difficult for the leadership of Warner Brothers Discovery to communicate with the heads of the portfolio companies at, um, at inside Warner Media during this the quiet period before the, the lockup actually took hold earlier this month. So 
this is the, the first real sign of sort of human and uh, economic attrition that we're seeing in the deal. I have a feeling it'll be handled humanely. What I read and learned about the payout packages are beyond you know, what Warner Brothers Discovery had to do. And I have a feeling that some of the most estimable talents that were brought to CNN Plus, like Casey Hunt and Chris Wallace, will find their way to CNN proper. I also think that long-term, the, the Zaslav vision is correct, that, that Warner Brothers Discovery has to unify all of its media assets on one Netflix-style app, and that to have multiple competing apps, as uh, one of Zaslav's deputies noted at the town hall, would, would just be confusing to consumers and confusing internally. This was a painful decision, but it was probably the right one. And Zaslav and his team made it very, very quickly, which they should be commended for. All right, Peter, that's all I got. I'll see you Monday. Now have fun talking to Alex. Joining me now is Alex Bigler, one of the backbones of Puck. Yes, we have multiple backbones here at Puck. Uh, she is our VP of Brand and Partnerships and has unique insight to one of everyone's favorite things about Puck, which is the Fritz Inbox. Uh, we always get you know, some really good emails from readers. There's lots of big names lurking in the Fritz mailbag. Uh, Alex, thanks for joining us. How are you? I just assume that you were inundated with fan mail after my last <laughs> appearance. So thank you for having me back. You know it. Uh, okay. I have a few questions this week to throw at you about the Fritz mailbag. So what's the best email that that we've received to Fritz uh, over the last week? In this week, I would say it's a toss-up. It is a toss-up between our very first official Puck fan art from someone who listened to me on last week's <laughs> podcast that depicted an interpretation of Fritz and, and what Fritz might look like, which oh. was fascinating. And I think we're all going to be getting matching tattoos with this image. Can you tell me what it looks like? My image of like Fritz is like an adult version of like Tintin, like a like a art deco, like 50s era guy, maybe with like a beret or like a shoulder bag or something holding like a tattered book or something. Yeah. A little bit of a, like a wanderer in a way. Yeah. That yeah. was a little bit of my, my thought too, but no, this is um a very like almost Venetian interpretation of Fritz within the broader Puck logo. The other toss up was a woman who reached out to gift a Puck subscription to her husband for their 35th wedding anniversary. Ah. I, I guess the 35th gift is, you know, <laughs> infinite knowledge, maybe. So, yeah, the puck anniversary, 35. Everyone knows that. Okay, what's the best feedback you've gotten of the week? You know, we like constructive criticism. The best feedback that we got this week was someone who sent an email who just said, good topics, smart reporting, which <laughs> I actually like would love to get them on the payroll to just write all of our marketing copy from here on out. I thought it was great. That sounds like a like a Midwestern grandma named like Myrna on a Facebook comment. You know, like that's what like baby boomers say on Facebook. You know, I think no elaboration. <laughs> it was, you know, right to the point. Like why add fluff where you don't need fluff? Yeah, Subscribe exactly. to Puck, good topics, smart reporting. Okay, what is, this is a little, little Fritz adjacent, but what's the hottest gossip out of 64 Bank Street this week? That's, that's Puck World Headquarters. Well, XOXO Gossip Girl over here is here to tell you <laughs> that the hottest gossip coming out of 64 Bank Street is that a number of the talented, brilliant, incredible women of Puck 
including Puck's newest senior national correspondent, Tara Palmieri, got together for a meetup in Washington, D.C. Do you know where they went to eat? That is confidential information. Gotcha, gotcha. I can't have paparazzi showing up where, where they're mm-hmm. dining. Yeah, can't have paparazzi showing up to La Diplomat. Just <laughs> kidding. Yes, Tara Palmieri has joined Puck. She will be another foot on the ground in Washington. And, you know, we're very excited about that. Okay, Alex, final, final thing. What are your takeaways from this last week? So one of the biggest takeaways for me was I'm a, I'm a, I I work at Puck, but I was a subscriber first and reading all of Bill Cohan's work about Twitter this week and last, um, just sort of doubled down for me what it is that we do that's different here. It almost doesn't matter what Elon Musk ends up doing with Twitter. Bill walked you through all of the different things that could possibly happen and why from a conceptual and a logistical perspective in a way that I just am not seeing other places and I feel more informed as a reader. A good takeaway for me from that is, you know, we don't just have one core power corner at Puck. Mm -hmm. We really do cover all four areas with a level of depth that is fantastic. So. Yeah, I mean, I think Bill is showcasing so much of his smarts at the intersection of, of tech and business, finance. And we've had a succession of stories. Um, Jeff Zucker leaving CNN, Ukraine, Will Smith, uh, you know, Dylan, Julia, Matt, now Bill. You know, everyone's going to get their their turn at the wheel here. But like when these big things happen, I, you know, I think we're really showcasing the fact that we have some of the most authoritative voices on their beats here and they can not just give you scoops, but just explain what's going on and put these pieces together in a very accessible way. And that, you know, that's, I think, pretty rare these days. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of journalism out there is can be pretty dense. And I think we do a good job explaining things. It's not just what are we hearing from people, but it's what are the building blocks of what created the systems and processes to have these these things happen to begin with. That's right. All right, Alex. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Uh, for people who are listening, Alex is wearing a St. Louis Cardinals hat on the Zoom right now. I'm not wearing my Reds hat, but I'll wear it next time when you're on and we can fight uh, remotely. Thank you so much. And if you have any questions for um, Puck, feel free to reach out to Fritz at Puck.news and we can answer them next week. That's right. Adios. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 